Welcome, I'm Prudence Robertson, and this is EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. Abortion clinics on federal land. The Biden administration is exploring options to protect access to abortion as the Supreme Court considers the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization case. Rebecca Downs, web editor for Town Hall Media, joins us in studio to discuss the pro-abortion push by Democrats on Capitol Hill and the possibility of abortion businesses operating on federal land. Saving lives. A UK doctor is preparing to challenge an order at the High Court in London, preventing him from offering abortion pill reversal. Dr. Dermot Kearney shares his frustrations with restrictions put in place by the Interim Orders Tribunal, and he tells us what he hopes to accomplish in a hearing scheduled later this month. Mothers in the Abortion Industry. An online article profiles women working in the abortion industry. Some claim their experience as moms helps them connect to patients seeking an abortion. We speak to former Planned Parenthood director Myra Rodriguez, who debunks the allegations by pro-abortion advocates and shares how she was told to stay away from mothers seeking an abortion. President Joe Biden, along with pro-abortion Democrats on Capitol Hill, continue their pro-abortion push as the U.S. Supreme Court considers the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization case. The White House administration is exploring strategies to expand and protect access to abortion. One of those options, placing abortion businesses on federal land in states where there are limits on the procedure. The idea here is that pro-abortion businesses would then fall under federal law and not be subject to state-level restrictions on abortion. This is an issue about how women are able to make decisions. This is an issue that is so fundamental. And what we can see from some of my colleagues who will use that very argument is let's look at how we treat children. Let's look who's fighting for children. That is the Democrats in Congress. Republican lawmakers have made it clear that there will be pushback if President Biden decides to use executive power to work around state pro-life laws that have been advanced by duly elected legislators. And joining us now in studio is Rebecca Downs, web editor for Town Hall Media. Rebecca, thanks for joining us. So much for having me. I want to start by just getting your thoughts on the fact that Democrats often claim they are the ones advocating and fighting for children and families, but they often neglect the unborn. What do you have to say about that? It's a typical talk point for these pro-abortion Democrats, unfortunately, it's what we can come to expect, mm. uh, that the disclaimer is that as long as the children are born, but they don't really care for the unborn children or their mothers. Mm. Um, we, you know, see things about uh, keeping children masked and not respecting parents' rights for that. So this is—it's almost a laughable non-response, mm. a lot of pandering mm. to, their, to their base. Very interesting. And let's talk about the potential of placing abortion businesses on federal property throughout the United States. Now, I believe the idea here is that these abortion businesses would lease the federal land um, from the government. What would this mean, particularly in states that are pro-life? So this is something that the Biden administration is really—it's um, fulfilling campaign promises. It's fulfilling um, keeping to the real hardline pro-abortion base and the party platform. They are trying to look for workarounds in pro-life states. 
Uh, sadly, this is not surprising. This is what we can expect from the Biden-Harris administration, especially with uh, remarks that Kamala Harris made um, during the campaign, that they're really going to try to strong-arm um, pro-life states to make it so it's much more difficult for them to work with their uh, duly-passed pro-life laws. Mm. And let's talk about President Biden's new commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration, Robert Califf. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia actually opposed his nomination. Why is that? So, Robert Califf, as there have been concerns um, both with opioids, but also specifically um, from a pro-life perspective. So, he had this role before, in 2016, and under his tenure, um, chemical abortions, as we now call them, uh, they kind of moved up how long you could uh, get—use that method for. So, it goes up to 10 weeks, when it had been seven weeks. 10 weeks, the procedure is much more dangerous. This is a do-it-yourself procedure that women uh, go through alone at home. They're kind of lied to by the abortion industry that it's a heavy period. Um, when there are a lot of there are much more complications in this method, and it goes to the reason that the longer you expand the op the procedure, right. the more complications there are. Mm. My goodness. And Rebecca, before we let you go, could you just sure. let us know what else you're tracking in Congress, especially when it comes to pro-life legislation? Sure. So, um, fortunately, even though uh, Robert Califf was confirmed, he uh, there is pushback from pro-life senators. Um, to ask him about how, in December, the Biden administration, the FDA, rolled back regulations. Mm -hmm. So they are going to do something about that. And some more hopeful news is that it looks like Hyde is here to stay, even though Democrats in the House uh, were really trying to get rid of it. It's got to be included in order for there to be a government spending bill to pass. Mm, very encouraging. Rebecca Downs of Town Hall, thank, thank you. you so much for joining us. This week, on Tuesday, the Senate confirmed Robert Califf as commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration. During his tenure at HHS under President Obama, Califf removed federal safeguards on chemical abortions, setting the stage for the abortion industry to begin to turn every post office and pharmacy into an abortion center. And joining us now to discuss Califf's record is Tessa Longbonds, senior research associate at the Charlotte Lozier Institute. It's great to have you in the studio today, Tessa. Thanks, Prudence. It's great to be here. Mm. Now, it's been made clear that pro-life groups, including the Susan B. Anthony list, strongly oppose Califf's nomination and confirmation to this role. Can you explain why? Yes. Well, Dr. Califf has a track record on chemical abortion, and his record isn't good. Mm. Um, in 2016, the last time that Dr. Califf led the FDA, they actually rolled back regulations on chemical abortion, including a requirement that all serious complications be reported by abortion providers. Now, only deaths are required to be reported. And we're in tumultuous times with chemical abortion. The FDA recently caved to abortion industry demands to allow it through the mail as a result of the pandemic. And so pro-lifers want someone leading the FDA who will keep Americans safe from dangerous drugs and ensure that the profit-driven abortion industry is following the rules. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Califf has shown he's not willing to do that. Interesting. And in a piece supporting Califf's nomination, the Wall Street Journal's editorial board recently claimed that pro-life concerns with Califf have, quote, little merit. What do you have to say about that? Well, I think it misses the real-life impact on unborn babies and their mothers. 
We've seen that chemical abortion complications have been increasing. In fact, the Charlotte Lozier Institute recently published a paper showing that the rate of emergency room visits after chemical abortions increased by over 500 percent between 2002 and 2015. So these are dangerous drugs, and the, the data that the FDA used to make its decision is flawed and incomplete. But even with that data, we know that there have been thousands of severe complications that women have suffered. And from a medical perspective, are women in more danger if they receive the pills via the mail uh, rather than receiving them in person with a doctor? Well, chemical abortion can be dangerous in all circumstances. It's four times more dangerous than surgical abortion. But there are some safeguards that receiving the drugs in person can offer. Um, a physical exam can rule out a dangerous condition like an ectopic pregnancy, ensure that the pregnancy isn't too far along so that the drugs won't be effective, see. and can make sure that the woman isn't being coerced or forced into the abortion. And these are things that we lose when these drugs are being sent through the mail. Mm, very important. And I was glad to see that your colleague, Chuck, Donovan's letter to the editor was placed in the Wall Street Journal raising awareness about Califf's record. Can you speak to the role of people like yourself and Chuck at the Charlotte Lozier Institute providing science and statistics that support life, especially in today's culture? How important is this? Well, I'm glad that you got to read Chuck's letter to the editor. And I think um, now more than ever, we've seen so much flawed data and misinformation about the safety of chemical abortion and really just a lot going on with abortion in general. We have a Supreme Court case that could start to dismantle Roe v. Wade, a lot happening in the states. And so I think people need accurate data, accurate research on abortion. And that's what we try to do at the Charlotte Lozier Institute. Mm -hmm. We're pro-life because of science, and so we want to produce good science that can inform policymakers and pro-lifers. We're so thankful for the work that you do. Tessa Longbonds of the Charlotte Lozier Institute. Thanks for having me. A Catholic doctor in England is preparing to challenge an order from the London High Court, which currently bans him from offering abortion pill reversal to women who change their mind about having an abortion. The General Medical Council, which regulates UK doctors, referred the case of Dr. Dermot Carney to the Interim Orders Tribunal. The court then ruled against Dr. Carney and further forbade him from providing abortion pill reversal to his patients. Dr. Carney is a pro-life consultant cardiologist, seeking to help pregnant mothers who no longer wish to have an abortion. Abortion pill reversal is the process by which nutrients can be restored to the baby growing in the womb even after the mother has taken the first chemical abortion pill. And joining us now via Zoom is Dr. Dermot Carney, pro-life consultant cardiologist and former president of the Catholic Medical Association in the UK. Dr. Carney, thank you for joining us. Could you tell us more about your case? I understand you have a hearing on February 24th. What do you hope to come out of that? Well we, well, we hope that the truth will come out, because all, all we want all along, actually, is for the, the whole story, the whole truth to be heard. Um, you or your listeners may know, or your audience may know, that uh, a number of allegations were brought against me and another doctor in the, uh, for providing this uh, abortion pill uh, reversal uh, treatment to women who requested it. Among those allegations were this was a non-proven um, form of treatment with no evidence base, that it was unlicensed, that we were using remote prescribing by telemedicine. But these are all exactly the same things that the abortion providers are doing and providing the abortion pills in the first place, at least in the UK. And also, it's not very well known, but misoprostol, the second pill in abortion, is actually unlicensed for use in, in abortion provision. It's licensed for management of peptic ulcer disease. So we weren't doing anything unusual in, in the way that we went about providing this service. Mm. And uh, so we hope that all of, the, all of the truth will come out. In particular, 
all of the evidence so far has come from our side. All that has come from the other side has been allegations, innuendo, uh, false accusations, hearsay. But the actual real evidence, which is basically from the mothers and from some of the fathers involved who have received the treatment or who have at least sought the treatment, um, has come on our side. And we want all of this evidence and the truth to, to, be, to be revealed. Yes, and to that point, pro-abortion businesses and advocates discourage the use of abortion pill reversal. They claim that this life-saving treatment is unproven and unethical. What's your response to that? Uh, well, the evidence uh, suggests otherwise. They, they are basing very much their, well, first of all, the, the, the reason I, I believe and I suspect strongly, the reason that they want to, to make those claims is that they don't like the idea of, of women changing their mind. They try to say that women do not change their mind because if you accept that women, having taken the first abortion pill, Mifepristone, for whatever reason, very often due to coercion, but if they subsequently change their mind, the question then has, has to be asked, why are they changing their mind? And certainly in the UK, the, the answer in the vast majority of cases is because they don't get any counselling beforehand. They make a phone call or they have a very brief clinic visit and they are given no counselling, they're given no alternatives, mm. uh, uh, no help to help them look at other ways in which their, their pregnancy could be managed. So it's very much abortion is the only answer. So if they accept that women change their mind, then they have to ask the question, well, why are women change their mind? And then to address uh, the problems that exist for that reason. And right. I think that that's why they don't like what we were doing. Mm, I see. And the Christian Legal Center in the UK recently told our sister publication, Catholic News Agency, that there was a spike in pregnant mothers seeking abortion pill reversal after authorities in England allowed chemical abortion pills to be distributed through the mail during the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, it's, it's difficult to know if there was a spike. There certainly was an increase in the numbers that we had, had expected to, to seek abortion pill reversal. And I'd like to add that since the, the conditions and the restrictions were put in place over the, over the last nine months, there's been 167 requests, at least that I'm aware of. So that's, that's quite a large number. Uh, we initially thought there might be a few cases per month, but it's, it's much more than that. Whether that's due to the, uh, the fact that now that women can get abortion pills more easily by making a telephone call and without seeing a doctor or healthcare professional even face-to-face, -face. Uh, we don't really know because this is a service that the service that we were providing, the abortion pill reversal service, is, is largely unknown. Nobody knows about it. And in fact, almost all of the girls, possibly without exception, they only found about us, uh, found out about us by, uh, after they'd been to their own doctor, after they'd been to the abortion providers, after they'd been to some emergency services and were told there was nothing could be done. They then, in desperation, went onto Google or to the internet and looked up abortion reversal and found the Heartbeat International's abortion pill reversal site and then were put in contact with us. Mm. So whether or not it's due to the, the, the spike or the increase, the unexpected increase, is due to the um, fact that women can now get abortion. And not only women, anybody, in fact. A man could ring up and get, and get abortion pills. <laughs> uh, your next-door neighbour could ring up and buy them. Right. Your, your daughter, your son, anybody. So that it's so easy to get abortion pills because there's no, there's no uh, true record kept of who is receiving uh, these pills by post. So much danger that this is posing. Dr. Carney, how has your faith played a role in your life-saving efforts, which you're willing to go to court for? Well, it's been very important. Uh, first of all, we, we believe, um, whether it's because of our faith or whether we're motivated by our faith, but we believe that what we're doing is right. So even, even if the court case goes against us, even if we lose, we know that we've done the right thing. Uh, and faith, I suppose, has a very important part to play in that. We have received tremendous support, myself and my colleague, uh, who, who is also facing a similar situation as, as myself. We have received tremendous support throughout the world. 
uh, lots of support, lots of prayer mm. from Catholics, Christians, even some non-Christians, and well wishes from people of no faith. So we have still received tremendous support, but our faith has been particularly important in helping us see the, the, the wider picture, I suppose. It's not, just, it's not just a story about us. In fact, it shouldn't be about us at all. This should be about the, the women and their families and the babies that, that we have been trying to, to help and to save. Yes. Well, we in the United States so admire your courage. Keep fighting. Thank you so much, Dr. Dermot Carney. It's a big pleasure. Thank you very much. Coming up, a Hollywood actress uses her own abortion story and experience as a mother to advocate for a so-called right to abortion in the law. Plus, a former Planned Parenthood worker turned pro-life advocate joins us to debunk an article profiling mothers who say they are committed to the abortion industry. Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Another Hollywood actress has published her abortion story, but this one is particularly heartbreaking. That is this week's Speak Out segment. Actress Milana Weintraub recently shared in detail the story of her child's birth. She also used the opportunity to laud abortion and claimed that it would have been essentially impossible to undergo the birth of her child if becoming a mother hadn't been her own choice. She wrote, I find myself thinking about how imprisoning it would be to go through this if I didn't choose it, if I was forced into it because laws didn't give me any other option. She went on to say that 10 years ago she had an abortion that was, quote, no big deal, and claimed that the toll of becoming a mother has made her even more committed to advocate for a right to abortion. She then wished labor pains upon pro-life legislators and described her own abortion as a privilege. The intentional killing of an unborn baby is not a privilege. It's a crime against the life of another human being. And advances in society have empowered women to make strides in their abilities to raise a family, have careers, and make their mark on the world. It is tragic that one of Ms. Weintraub's children was treated with dignity and respect as he deserves, while the other was simply cast aside, as if not even human at all. This piece full of doublespeak should motivate us to ensure that mothers facing an unplanned pregnancy are always met with love and compassion. This Valentine's Day, I, along with dozens of other pro-life leaders, signed onto an open letter addressing our commitment to love them both, the mother and the baby. The letter reads, We are standing together today to let women across America hear from us that they have support. We owe this to women who carry within them world-changing potential and who make this nation great with the love and support they provide to the next generation. To share this message with women you know who may need to hear it, use the hashtag StandingWithYou and get more info at StandingWithYou.org. In other Valentine's Week news, pro-life people from across the country can shower new moms in Mississippi with love. Attorney General Lynn Fitch and SBA lists her plan partnered up to host a virtual baby shower, benefiting dozens of pregnancy centers across Mississippi. Attorney General Fitch released a video explaining the initiative. The pro-life movement has always been about supporting these women. We want these women to know that they do not have to face this on their own. Mississippi alone is home to more than 30 life-affirming pregnancy resource centers. These centers provide loving care and support to women and babies before and after birth. This Valentine's Day, let's show a little extra love to these pregnancy resource centers. 
Attorney General Fitch went on to say that as the Supreme Court prepares to release its decision in the Dobbs versus Jackson women's health case, Mississippi is ready to assist women and mothers. You can participate in the virtual baby shower for Mississippi moms by visiting herplan.org forward slash virtual dash baby dash shower. A recent online article published on NBC's Today profiles moms working in the abortion industry who claim they are proud to provide abortions. The article, titled What Moms Who Provide Abortion Care Think About Their Jobs, shares the stories of pro-abortion advocates working in the abortion industry. These advocates, who are also mothers, explain that their experiences of raising children make them even more committed to ending the lives of the unborn. One mom said that her family life connects her to patients seeking an abortion. Joining us now is former Planned Parenthood worker Myra Rodriguez to share her thoughts on this piece. Myra, the subheadline of this piece claims that nurses, medical assistants, and clinic administrators all share these sentiments of wanting to provide abortion, but the piece only actually profiles abortion providers themselves. What are your thoughts on that? That's exactly what I thought, that it was kind of funny that they only interview abortion providers, right? The ones that make money out of abortions, right? I don't see any testimonies from medical assistants or directors like myself. My experience as a mother working in an abortion facility was not what they said. It actually did not connect me to patients because as a mom, I couldn't understand why some of them would choose abortion, right? And also, it was a very hard working there when you have children, right? I remember uh, during my second pregnancy, I was put behind a desk so women wouldn't see me pregnant because that would affect them emotionally, right? That's what I was told, you know, kind of making me feel guilty. Mm, my goodness, yes. And one of the women in the piece shared that while she was pregnant, she was nervous about showing in front of her patients. Could you speak a bit more about your experience working at Planned Parenthood? How did being a mom and being pregnant during your tenure there impact your decision to ultimately leave? Right. Well, by being a mother um, working there, just like she said she was afraid of showing, it's because they make you feel guilty, like I said. They make you feel like, uh, you know, you're going to make them feel bad because you're a happy pregnant person and they're not happy to be pregnant and they're there in that situation, right? So let's not show them that you're a happy pregnant person, right? They remember, ultimately, they made me go home on a um, kind of like a co-uncle status where they will call me if they need me. And coincidentally, they never called me while I was like super pregnant, like we may say, right, mm -hmm. on my eight or ninth month. And they never called me back until I was done with my pregnancy and my baby was born to see if I wanted to return to work. Now, having my children, I always thought, I don't want this for my daughter, right? I want to protect my daughter. The reason I started the lawsuit against Plum Parenthood was because I saw my daughter in that patient. Mm. And what would you say to a woman working in an abortion clinic who feels trapped and alone in her job situation? That, you know, I did that for 17 years. I felt trapped. I felt like that that's all I could do, right? That I had to be there, you know? I was grateful to them. You don't have to be there. There's many options for you. And then they were not. They will help you get a job. They will help you get uh, stability until you can get a, a, a good job. You know, there's always so much more to do out there. There's true help for women out there. Mm. You don't have to work in an abortion facility. Yes. And Myra, could you speak a bit about your pro-life work now that you have left the abortion industry? What has it been like sort of converting and, and uh, what that's inspired you to do? 
Well, you know, uh, I mean, the welcoming um, of my church, right, my home, the Catholic Church, the pro-life world, you know, being able to travel the world literally to speak about my story, you know, to hear that when someone tells my testimony to a patient seeking abortion, she changes her mind, means the world to me, you know. I did what I did so women will hear the truth behind abortion, and that's what I will continue to do, speaking up. Speaking up is not a choice for me, it's an obligation. Mm. And very quickly, could you speak to just what was the moment when you realized you had to leave the abortion industry? When I saw what abortion was really about, when I saw the business behind it, when I saw the malpractice, when I saw the perforations go unreported, when I saw all the damage that abortion is doing to women, that's when I said, it's time to do something about it. Mm. Myra Rodriguez, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me here, Prudence. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing prolifeweekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.